Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of SA Voices from the Field. Each week we aim to bring you the true stories of student affairs. Over the course of this podcast, we hope to bring you both voices that feel like they are telling your own story and those that bring you stories you've never heard before. The podcast with expert guests and practical advice. Get ready to learn and become the best higher ed professional you can be. Welcome to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. I am your host, Dr. Corliss Bennett, and I'm so happy to have you here today. This podcast is sponsored by NASPA. So here we go again with an exciting uh, topic, an exciting guest. Today, I am really excited to have Miss Charlene Martinez. We go back a little ways, huh, Charlene? That's right. So I think we met when you first started in cultural center work. That's right. 2001 is when I started. So we must have met in 2002 with the Cultural Centers of California and Higher Ed Group. Right. Cache. Yes. California Council of Cultural Centers and Higher Ed. So anybody out there working with cultural centers, you might want to look us up. We have a lot of best practices and a lot of support for people with cultural centers. And that includes women's, veterans, LGBT, all cultures. We got you covered. But today, and then you left that field about seven years ago, right? I've been in multicultural affairs in different ways since then as well. But yes, I most recently am now in student experiences and engagement, and I serve as our Associate Director of Integrative Learning. We're a group of multiple units ranging from media to, to cultural centers to craft center, leadership development, civic engagement, you name it. If, if it falls under the experiential learning bucket, we probably have it covered. Interesting. Wow. Okay. And that is where in at Oregon State University, can tell us, just give us a little peek about Oregon State. So we're located in Corvallis, Oregon, which is about an hour and a half south of Portland, southeast of Portland. And or west, depending upon which way you're coming. And we're sort of situated in a rural area, but and we are popu- we have a population in the town of around 54,000. Our campus is around 20, I think around 25,000, uh, 26,000. And we have about, you know, we have about, I think 24% or so coded as people of color, but but our numbers are, are pretty bad. So we have our African-American Black numbers, less than 2%, Indigenous, Native American Indian, Alaska Native, under 1%, same for Pacific Islander. And our Latinx population is around 10%, Asian around 7%, international around 10%. And our two or more races around 6.5%. So given the region, the, the history and the demographics of the region, we have a lot of work to do when it comes to making sure that there's a retention of students and, and staff and faculty of color in particular. As you say that, and you've mentioned it a little bit, being a part of some kind of multicultural work within this unit of student experience and engagement, uh, you are the Associate Director of Integrative Learning. Can mm-hmm. you give us just a little bit about what you do and how it works for you there at the, at the institution? The position actually started in diversity and cultural engagement. It was there that I ran things like the arts and social justice living learning community, a civic professionalism internship program, women, uh, supported the Women of Color Coalition, and multiracial student development programs and, and a retreat. And so the commonality that a lot of those had, in addition to, the, to being um, connected to people of color groups also was this aspect of bridging the co- curricular and co-curricular. Um, so making sure 
that our critical studies was sort of reflected and represented in, into our co-curricular living learning community and with the civic professionals on the same, that, and that majors in any, in any area could sort of access how to be change agents, no matter w- what discipline they came from. Uh, so I've been kind of in this interesting intersectional slash interdisciplinary work of trying to bridge the, the houses, if you will. But now I get to do it more formally for all the student experiences and engagement, which really consists of more of professional development, organizational development, and um, yeah, supporting all of our colleagues in, in doing their best work when it comes to both assessing, evaluating, supporting students, and in in all the ways, um, including persistence, completion, and advancement. Well, you sound like the end-all, be-all for uh, for folks there at Oregon State. Wow, (laughs) that's a lot. And I'm sure that you have grown with all these different aspects over the years from um, from your first starts about six or seven years ago. And it sounds like you've got a lot of work, especially with the lack of diversity per se, and in the region that you're at, that there's a lot going on. um, I'm, I'm going to assume, and a lot of your work in trying to, which actually brings us to the topic of healing and that type of thing. So let's just jump right into it. Really excited to be able to speak with you. And what we love about the podcast is that people can email their ideas of what they'd like to speak about. And so Charlene emailed in and wanted to talk about how, how Story Circles and Healing Cards campaign supported a cultural shift at Oregon State and how it also assisted you in your healing and ability to thrive at this land-grant institution and PWI slash PWI. So before we kind of answer that particular question, and you know, my mom said there's no stupid questions, so I'm just going to go with my mom on this. Please explain what a story circle is and what healing cards are. Because again, I can assume, but I just want everybody on the same page. So as you speak about it, we're coming from your definition. Yes. So Story Circles is a method that is known to community. It's it's a well-used community organizing tool that originated from liberated uh, orientation and community organizing frameworks. And so I, I actually got a chance to learn the story circles process. So basically, it's a group of people sitting in a circle telling stories, but you actually, uh, the stories are kind of timed. Uh, so there's equity in, in the amount of time that each person takes up. And they're utilized and how they were utilized in sort of this community organizing frameworks um, stemming from Ella Baker and SNCC and the South is that they really wanted to source information about communities and what people's experiences were and then take that information and then do something with it, right? So there's action pieces. So I get to learn from this arts-based national organization called the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture that has a campaign every year that they invite people uh, to participate in. So I I look out for it. It happens around February of every year called the People's State of the Union, in which they invite people to kind of share stories about their experiences that they're having around the notion around belonging or not belonging. Um, And so I learned through them and then took that tool to different places and spaces in the university um, including uh, Latinx Summit, a internship, many internship programs, arts-based living learning community. The president actually participated in one of the story circles, and it's been used and, and replicated in different places now. And when I first started using the tool, I have been doing diversity slash cultural center work for, for many years, 
And we're not unfamiliar to different kinds of modalities of dialogue education. But what I found useful about this particular tool is it helped people kind of um, engage in a role very easily and in a very short amount of time. And of course, you would want to tailor the topic to making sure that it's, it fits your context and, and the time and all that. But it was really great to see the students really gravitating toward it, seeing it as a tool for empathy building, for sharing of their own stories, um, accessing commonalities, and really ended up being sort of a leadership development tool for lots of students. And so now we've used it uh, multiple years since 2016, and we've built out multiple projects. And one of the projects that stemmed from stories themselves, because it's kind of akin to a focus group, except it's really based around folks' actual stories. And so we took that, that tool, then the students and I uh, merged it with another some other arts-based tools and uh, kind of created a, a, a deck akin to like a tarot card deck of um, healing cards that stemmed from the stories of the story circles. And now that project has taken off and now it's entered high schools in Portland. It is uh, something that people are requesting and, and also contributing to adding their own stories to. So each card has a theme that came from the story uh, or a value that people wanted to recenter as an anchor um, to remember for healing purposes. So one card says courage and on, on the front side, it's got an art, artwork that represents and reflects a symbol for them around courage. And on the other side has reflection questions about courage, right? Some say, uh, one says Ubuntu, Ubuntu, one says writing, one says self-care, one says love. And so it's been a really uh, wonderful and iterative process to see how a tool can then create interventions for change and they can be arts-based and they can really bring in all kinds of voices, students, staff, faculty. We've done it in the local community with um, our Corvallis Art Center. So I would say it's something that can be replicated. It's something that's easy to access. And then people will create different prompts that really fit for what they really want the group to kind of connect on. So let me dial it back. So give me an example of one topic and how it would relate to a story that then turned into these healing cards. So there's so many stories now. I don't know if I can provide a lineage for one of the cards. Take, I'll take one of the original Story Circle programs that we did. So it was situated in an arts and social justice class. And there were two students of the class created a project. I think it was called Voices Beyond the Borders. And one student was a Southeast Asian student and one student was a Latinx student. And through their participation in story circles in the class, they wanted to put on a program that brought together the Latinx and Chicanx students on campus, and I believe the Hmong group on campus. And they got together and they told stories of belonging and not belonging to this nation. And they also sourced stories about their family stories about assimilation and acculturation to the U.S., and what they found was that there were so many similarities that they had among each other. And unlike, you know, California schools, in which uh, that's where I, really I grew up in, where I feel like there was more opportunity for people to coalesce and tell these stories more naturally, the way our centers are kind of geographically and spatially kind of configured on campus makes it hard for groups to kind of come together and share stories, particularly around things that are meaningful to them. So they came together. And they brought 
the different constituencies of their group. And they had an incredible kind of healing circle around experiences of racism, experiences um, that their parents, a family, like working, uh, what their parents had to endure to, to just exist and survive, particularly in Oregon. And they found all these commonalities. And so after the stories were told in the group, they then took a sheet of paper and drew a, a word or a theme that came from the stories themselves that they wanted to center as a part of their own healing. And so they drew images with words and then they shared that in the group as sort of a debrief. Um, and it was really empowering for them. It was inspiring and empowering. And I think uh, brought together many dimensions of these students' lives and identities that don't get amplified often. So it was cathartic, it was artistic, uh, story-based, and it was student-generated, which was, you know, that's that's been, I think, one of the, the most beautiful things that I think I've seen through this process is it's a technique and a tool that students can take and they adopt it and they they, they take it and, and do what they want with it. Um, but really in service of, of building community and connections where they may not um, happen. And what's really crazy is how our society is so into showing our differences when you really sit down and get a piece of paper out, like you said, you know, for just a, it's a simplistic way of doing this. If you got a piece, piece of paper out and you sat down and you said, what do we have in common? There would be more things there's more inter intersectionality, more things in common than there are differences. But I think society focuses so much on our differences that they don't realize how much alike and how much we, we've shared similar feelings of success and of failure and of, you know, fam like you said, family and sense of belonging and th all these major themes that come up in higher ed with our students. They just don't realize until, like you said, they did this project and probably figured out, wow, we have a lot in common. Yeah, so much so that they they really was trying to advocate for it to be a, a tool that would be used among all of the centers and, and groups. And I think that that says a lot that they were, these are graduating seniors, right, who have experienced a lot of different um, opportunities on campus and found this to be such an enriching one that they wanted to share with with other students. Um, but you're right. I think that these these fabricated structures, both fabricated and reinforced structures that we, these institutions, you know, they fail us in that, you know, we create these rigidities around uh, labels and ways of being that don't allow us to be fully human and express different you know, elements of our authenticity in different ways. And so anything that gets us to do that, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying story circles will work everywhere. I'm definitely not saying everyone should do them. I'm just saying we found something and people need to find the thing that works for their campuses and works for their, their practice that is congruent with creating interventions for different possibilities for us to connect. And um, we can have difficult conversations on power and positionality and oppression and privilege and all those things. But if the end of, at the end of the day, we don't have a purpose for reconciliation and construction and love and centering pleasure, as Adrienne Marie Brown says, um, then, then I'm not quite sure what we're doing. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, and it may not even be called a story circle. It could be called something else. But I really believe that a lot of campuses are doing similar work. They're just not calling it a story circle. Because for uh, us absolutely. to, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying, for us to even exist, 
with everything that's going on recently and just in general, you know, I think about this as a wonderful retreat opportunity, another way to deal with student and student leadership. And but one of the things that you mentioned um, in your email was how this helped with your own healing and your ability to thrive at Oregon State, which is a land grant institution and a PWI. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So when I got to Oregon State, I came with the lens of California and didn't really have any other context. It was not helpful in the beginning because I, you know, did the thing that we all don't want to do, but it just happens anyways. Like I would start to compare or I would try to make meaning of my experiences. So I experienced horizontal hostility. I didn't understand why everyone was, not everyone, but I experienced some passive aggressive kind of behavior. I just didn't understand the cult, the cultural and the historical context. And there's no way I could have initially. But over time, I, I begin to understand a little bit more about why people show up the way they do, particularly communities of color who you know, grew up in rural uh, Oregon who may or may not have had uh, cultural affinity or or you know, seen another person of color in their in their life until getting to college. And that has been the case for some of our students of color. And so I myself was feeling very isolated and kind of lonely and, and trying to trying to understand how to affirm my both Asian Americanness and Latinaness and multiraciality. And I didn't necessarily like see myself uh, feeling whole in any space that I kind of was in. And a lot of that was me. It wasn't necessarily the group, but I think it, it was a both and sort of situation. Um, and it wasn't until I we found we started formulating and founded a multiracial um, connections group with some faculty and students and staff, and uh, developed a retreat. and And I did start doing some of my own homework about what I needed to do. To, to heal. And one of those things was getting involved with this group called the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture. And they put out many different kinds of tools. So I definitely encourage folks to go check them out. But they, one of those tools and opportunities to, was to become part of a cohort of learning, of folks learning how to be cultural agents. And one of the tools that we use as cultural agents was a story circle tool. And once I um, experienced the story circle tool intervention with these cultural agents who are all across the nation, also doing really important cultural organizing work, bridging the arts and social justice, um, I started to realize that there were more people like me out there that were kind of alone and isolated in, in an area in a region that they were unfamiliar in, but they were either inter internally or externally sort of charged to do good work. And I found that the story circles was one of the ways that helped me um, build empathy for my colleagues here and, and, and folks in this area, in this region. It made me do more research and homework in the history. All of those things have helped me uh, exist here and, and helped me thrive here. And again, I wouldn't say that, you know, this is the, the only tool. I just, I just think that this was, happened to be the one that got me um, reinvigorated, uh, refueled, and then um, now I'm producing things from it, like scholarship and, um, and students are now doing the same. And so I'd say it gave me the inspiration to keep sourcing more stories and finding more ways in which there, we talk about this in multiracial, this multiracial retreat called multiracial Aikido that we host here, that there's a connectedness in our mixedness and there's a connectedness in our, in our feeling of not belonging in so many places. That is a major 
theme, no matter what school you attend, that sense of belonging. You know, freshmen dealing with it when they get there, no matter what race, creed or whatever culture you you still, you know, you're not in a familiar surrounding. You're not with your homies, quote unquote, from high school. You know, maybe one or two may go there, uh, you know, may attend the same institution, but it's, it's, you're in class and all of a sudden it, it hits you. It's like, oh, my God, do I belong? What What helps me to have this sense of belonging? So I can totally understand that. Um, at least I know personally coming from a first generation standpoint and then being a first generation black female, all of that is just like, oh, my goodness, you know. And I, I was surprised to hear you said you have a, a mixed identity of Asian and Latino. And so moving to, like you said, to Oregon and you've been in California all your life and, you know, in California, everything, we're just so free and everything's just so wee. And then you get there and it's like, whoa, <laughs> Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know you probably was like, "What did I just do? Why yes. did I leave?" Yes, and there were many years where I didn't know whether or not this was going to be really work out, right? Um, and I and I have a different perspective now. I think you know, there's a all of the things that I've been doing have been really supporting sort of an inner, sp- more spiritual, if you will, like a soul filling kind of way of being. And I think that it took a lot of that hardship. Um, reconciliation of that hardship to then be able to get to this other place, which is, it felt, it feels more like a breakthrough and an ability to understand why uh, folks in this region are so incredibly resilient and are also able to thrive and under sometimes the most difficult situations. As I say that, it, it reminds me of um, lots of people of color, uh, a lot of professional staff and uh, faculty who have left in the seven year period that I've been here. And then what, what it takes for those who, who want to remain to stay. And that's not to say anything, uh, any judgment about why people decide to move in and out of the university and particularly this region. I think it's, it's very hard and taxing. And that's why it's so important to, for me to remain connected to national projects and really good people like you, Corliss, and just, you know, just, it just fills my heart and soul because I, I know that um, I'm not alone and I'm not alone here. And there's many people here that have been doing the work for a long, long time. And I want to honor them as much as, 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 as well as contribute to, to that. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the compliment. So in hearing what you're saying, what types of symposiums, webinars, conferences have you attended to help you have the help with your transition to Oregon and to the, um, you know, helping with this position and, and how it relates to, you know, all of this, the sense of belonging. Like, give us an example of things that you would do. Let's say, you know, you're a, a we have a grad student that's coming to Oregon State and they're from Los Angeles. So they're like major city girls, major city guy. Now they're in Oregon. What things would you suggest to them as far as, let's just say, yes, they want to go into student affairs. What suggestions would you give to them to help them to navigate and feel like they have a sense of belonging? So I definitely want to chat a little bit about the kinds of resources that are out there that have helped me stabilize and keep me inspired. So again, U.S. Department of Arts and Culture, they put together a fantastic, it's a fairly new gathering. It's called Culture Shift. And they also have a lot of their resources online um, and, and video recorded. And so they do stuff around gentrification and uh, honoring Native lands and the art space world as oxygen. And so I think 
you know, just making sure that you that you remain curious. So I put myself on listservs when I requested to be uh, on their cultural agent, applied to be a cultural agent. I thought they were a government institution and they're not. They're actually uh, a grassroots organization, which is even which is even better. But I, I chuckle at myself for even thinking that. Um, Imagining America has kept me on my toes. I love that organization. They are an organization that focuses on artists and scholars and public life. And so they do a lot of publicly engaged scholarship. And it is essentially this integrative learning. It's the bridge between the co-curricular and the curricular, leveraging the resources of, of the university to support public good in different ways. And so they, and they do that principally through the arts. Also really involved with d- different conferences here and there with NASPA and ACPA once in a while. But I really appreciate the, the NASPA's, NASPA's cultural, their multicultural institute. I love that one. I've presented a couple times there, but I just love the people. And that's what I would say for people who are going into regions or in universities where there isn't a huge, it's not, there's no big city, right? We have to find our love and joy in, in differentially, right? So I find it through these different opportunities um, and then figure out a way to integrate what I'm learning back at the university. Another one that's a tried and true was one that I did, you know, 10 plus years ago, Social Justice Training Institute. I feel like that really helped set me up to have a very particular lens to to navigate here at Oregon State, as well as the Rockwood Leadership Program. I want to also make a plug for them. They're an amazing NGO group um, that does great leadership development work. So I think uh, I would say, and I would say to the students, right, that it doesn't have to be those particular organizations. Well, I love them. And I think that there's lots of things that you can learn. Just remain open, curious, uh, learn all the things that you can. When I started in the arts and social justice living learning community and coordinating that program and teaching that program for that program, I didn't know a ton of things that uh, you know about the field because there's a, there's an arts and social justice field and I didn't know about that field very and I was a little bit unfamiliar to it um, but once I had to teach it then I had to learn all the things and get involved all these organizations and it's it's given me a new route in to um, how to solve complex problems at, at a university level so another thing that I've been doing lately is looking at equity-based human-centered design thinking so there's a lot of the buzz around design thinking, but I uh, there's a, a group called the Creative Reaction Lab that produced a, a really great resource that really looks at how do you do innovative work, but do it mindfully and thinking about power and privilege and history and being conscientious about innovation. And so in this time, continued time of a budget of, of national, like ongoing crisis, it feels like. Um, and, and this is not a new thing. It's an ongoing thing. What interventions do we need? So basically, what are the things that I do not know how to do? And how am I going to be better at those things so that I can be more nuanced in problem solving? And so I would say to any graduate student coming on board or any staff person coming on board, it, this will be hard. It will be hard to transition and live here, but it's not impossible. And so you need to source the things that you find passion in, whether it's music or, uh, you know, doing some kind of uh, embodied practice, whatever that is, you need to center. I would also hand them a book. Um, I would give, if I had an extra copy, I would give them the Emergent Strategy book by Adrian Marie Brown. Um, We found that to be 
very helpful. It's both a way for folks to understand how to exist in, in hard worlds and how to shift with change with a social justice kind of praxis. And so I would definitely suggest that book and I would read it with them because there's so many nuggets in there. Can't even tell you. We could do a whole session just on emergent strategy. Adrian Marie Brown just wrote another book called Pleasure Activism. And I think that's the other thing that I would say is, you know, academia has this tendency to siphon a lot of joy out of us. And we need to remember to recenter that. I think that's one of the the things, the learning lessons from my early work with center work, and especially at UCSD's cross-cultural center and and Sacramento State's multicultural center was the, the reframe around you know, the social justice work, you, you're always going to be going against the grain, always. And so the more work, I mean, it's not a cliche, it's like that it's so hard to center self-care and community care and this sort of liberation kind of perspective and praxis. But I have not lost sight of that. That has been a core function of my value sets. And I think that that's shown up in things like, you know, story circles and healing cards, but it has to manifest differently in different spaces and different contexts. And so it has been hard, but it has also been joyous to find the magic, if you will, in different locations, different positions with different communities. And and this is not just coming to Oregon. This is going wherever that you're not used to being. Right. You know, when you when you choose grad schools, you know, A, we look at the financial and some you know places will give you a full ride. And then you may be in the middle of nowhere when you're used to being in a big city. So these are some great great suggestions. We're running out of time, but I I believe I read from one of your emails that you're uh, putting a chapter in a book. Can you just give us the name of the book and the chapter and we can have folks, you know, look it up and maybe we can bring you back and talk about one of the chapters that you have coming up or have done already. Yes. So this one is a forthcoming chapter. It's in press. Um, The chapter is going to be called Story Circles and Changing Culture. And it's going to be in... um, Radnesh Nagda and Larry Roper's volume of uh, New Directions for Student Leadership, number 163, Centering Dialogue in Leadership Development. A, I'm so proud of you because, again, I've known you from, like, you know, your cultural center days and how this has definitely opened up an avenue for you and that you're able to teach some of the folk there at Oregon State and open their minds, let's just say, um, to all that is to come about, you know, diversity and social justice and, and, and just learning from one another. So that is so important. So we're out of time today. I want to thank you so much for joining us, Charlene. It's been such a pleasure. If you found value in what we're, what we're doing here, um, please share your ideas about podcasts, future podcasts. You can go to the naspa.org website and search for podcasts and you'll see instructions there about how to send in your ideas. Every Thursday, we release another volume of Student Affairs Voices from the Field. Please make sure you tell your colleagues that you are a part of this podcast. And But I really appreciate your time. And thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening and share your practical tips and experiences with us here at our Student Affairs Voices from the Field. Have a great day or evening. Thanks for listening to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. If you enjoyed your time with us, tell a friend. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, let us know. If you want to be a guest, tell us your story. Email us at essayvoices at naspa.org. 
You can find all our info at naspa.org slash savoices. See you next time. Thank you.